What is up, guys? Welcome to another episode of Outside the Cage. Today, I have the privilege of having a conversation with Tessa Marcourt, married to Nate, the great Marcourt, a legend in the sport. We talk about his early days in Pancreas, moving to the UFC, some drama that happened with USADA, moving on to Strike Force, and then Tessa dives into their home life with motherhood, moving around, and really solidifying what Nate has in store for everyone now, which is a new podcast. Check out the link below in the bio to move that way. Tessa Marker, how are you? Welcome back to Outside the Cage podcast. For those of you that don't know, this is like my fifth attempt to get Tessa Marker on the show. She was my OG from the start when I started recording out of my living room, then guest room, then kitchen table, and all of the above. So I am so excited for you guys to experience Tessa and her story she, for those of you that don't know, she is married to Nate the Great Marcor, a legend in the sport of MMA, a pioneer that blazed the trail before MMA, before people knew what MMA was and before, you know, people really started watching in the United States. It was, we'll hear a lot about, about Nate's story. So without, before we get involved with Nate, let's hear a little bit about you, Tessa, and where you grew up, some passions and some interests, and what was home life like for you growing up? I, I grew up with MMA because my brother had wanted to train in jiu-jitsu and mixed martial arts, and like cage fighting was kind of this new thing that people were doing. Like there was a, they would put cages in bars and then people would, go fight in bars yes. and so <laughs> I know like just just like pause there I when I was talking to Drew Dober and actually Ian too starting out as an amateur fighter I mean they would just straight roll up a cage in a bar and then yeah. people would just be like hey you're gonna fight you're gonna fight this person and you're just gonna get in the cage and go and Drew Dober was like one time I fought someone out of the crowd like they just <laughs> had a guy come up out of the crowd just to like fight Drew Dober yeah it's hilarious it's, it's so funny it's so my brother was one of the people, like we went to one of his fights in Canyon City, like Nate was his coach, and we like drove up to Canyon City, and it was in a bar, and I, I was like 17, I think. Okay. I don't even think I was 18 And how old. did how did he know Nate? So there was this little gym in Broomfield that Nate trained at, and my brother went to it, and... He met Nate and started training there. And then my brother brought him home one day to play chess. To play chess. Yeah. And so. Because that's what most MMA fighters would do in the off time is play chess. <laughs> I know. It's what they always talk about, oh, yeah, when they, like, oh, it's like chess. I, you know, like when you're doing jujitsu, you have to think Strategic. this. Yeah, you have to think this many moves. So okay. I don't know if that's why. Play chess, Re regardless, <laughs> your older brother brought Nate Marcourt to your house to play chess. Yeah, and back then it was like Nate fought in Japan, and when he would come back from a fight, he would like he would actually have to wait months to get his VHS tape that he would like bring over to our my parents' house. Like, oh, let's watch my fight from six months ago. It was really a different. 
So he was kind of mentoring your brother in this process, right? So he met at the gym and kind of walking him through some MMA things because Nate was pretty established in his career at this point, right? No, it was, he was fighting in Japan, but it was still really early, like early stages of... And what promotion in Japan? Pancrase. Pancrase, okay. Yeah, so um, he would... He would fight in Pancrase, and then he would come and show us the VHS tapes, and yeah, okay. got married young, I mean. So, so, so back up, so he's bringing Nate over to play chess, and then you guys just like hit it off from the beginning, <laughs> or was it something that took a little time, or why don't you explain that? I mean, it's such a long story, so he brought him over, and I've told so many people this, it's so, it's kind of embarrassing, because I was... <laughs> I think 16 or 17. I actually had a boyfriend at the time. But when I saw Nate, I kind of felt like, oh, this is a man. This is, mm -hmm. you know, like he's he's slightly older than me, but you see that he was strong and confident. And, and I'm used to like high school guys. And I'm like, this guy, this is, I want someone like that, yeah, <laughs> you know? And, yes. and I think that uh, MMA fighters have, even more strength. I think that it's, they're very confident and it's not just physical strength, but that mental strength and that just focus and clarity and just awareness and masculinity that they mm -hmm. have, but not that toxic masculinity yeah. that's so pushed around in that culture. Yeah. And he's very calm and, and soft spoken mm -hmm. and just mm -hmm. kind of has a presence. And so I had liked him for quite a bit of time before I actually, I asked him out. So you, would you break up with your boyfriend or? Yeah, I mean, it was past. <laughs> and then I had done these little things to get in contact with him. So he has an older daughter. And so I babysat my niece this, that's the same age and um, my niece and nephew. And um, I'm like, oh, let's, let's do play dates. And so we would go every Tuesday and go swimming and do these different things with my niece and nephew and, and his daughter. Okay, okay. Yeah. So then you just asked him out on a date, or what well, was the first date like? <laughs> so it's it's so funny. It's so embarrassing. <laughs> you always pushing me, <laughs> like, share the juicy story. So um, he used to, after my brother fought and was fighting, I don't know if my brother was still, so then they started training with, um, in Aurora, my brother started going down to train with Shane Pitts, which is who Nate's coach was. And that was different than the Broomfield gym that Nate was more teaching at. And so he had um, become friends of our family. And so for barbecue, and because of my niece and his daughter Emily, like they became friends. Mm -hmm. And so we would do plate, like they would come over for, our, for barbecues and then... Um, there was a time that everybody knew that I liked Nate and my family. Everybody kind of <laughs> knew. I don't know if it was my, how I acted or what. So um, my sister said, oh, you should ask him out. You know, yeah, a good Christian guy. And so I asked him to go to a Broncos game with me. And he said, what, like a date? I said, yeah. And he said, oh, you're like a little sister to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I was like, 
Wow. Yeah, and so I was, I was embarrassed. Your 16-year-old self was like, oh my god!" I think I was, at this point, I was 19. So it had been, okay. he had known him for a, like a long time at this okay. point. And um, so, and then he had planned to come that weekend for a barbecue. And so I asked him out, he denied me. And he's like, I don't, I don't know what your family would think, you know, I'm not sure. And then he came over for the barbecue and I had just gotten off work. And so I came and he met me in my parents' living room and he just gave me this like really big hug. Like he just shows up and just yeah, like, hugs you. He in like the ran room. out, like he heard me and he ran out to meet me and um just gave me this big hug. And I'm like, that didn't feel like a friend hug. And right, it so, wasn't the awkward side hug. Yeah. And then we from that day, then a year later, we got married. Okay. So was the first date that he ended up going to the game with you then or No, oh. the game was <laughs> the game was like Monday night football. We got tickets. That was passed and Okay. Um, but he was coming that next weekend. Okay. So yeah, we started dating and um you know, he was still fighting in Japan at that point. Yeah, so how was that? So it's very different being a girlfriend and having your boyfriend essentially fighting international. I remember when I was dating Ian and I hadn't known him that long and and to be honest we really hadn't been dating that long you know we got to know each other a little bit before we started dating and when he got the fall the call to fight Cesar Ferreira in Argentina on like eight days notice unfortunately nobody was able to go from his team with him to help him cut weight and he was like hey have you ever helped someone cut weight before and I was like no I I actually haven't he was like do you, you would you come to Argentina with me and I got a fight and I was like, oh, that sounds really cool. I've always wanted to go to Argentina. That oh, sounds wow. super awesome. When, like, when do we leave? I'll just request time off work. He's like, actually, we have to leave in like six days. Mm. Uh, okay, doc, I need, I need to request some days off with this guy I just met 30 days ago to go to Argentina yeah. for his UFC debut. He's like, you're crazy. You were going to South America with this guy you just met. Which it's so funny to me when you tell this story too, because I remember when I watched you in Ian's corner, because I was not the type of wife that wanted, I get super nervous, and I saw you in there and your hair was braided, and I'm like, she looks like this I was warrior. ready to fight yeah, someone. Yeah, I was like, straight ready to like, fight. I want her in my corner. <laughs> it was crazy that that feeling when you, and every fighter says it, it's just like the walkout just has this insane feeling when you walk out and and the song and the crowd. Unfortunately, I didn't get to experience the crowd, but just, I think it's just having confidence for me at the time, having so much confidence in Ian going into that fight, seeing his training, seeing the hard work that he put in, regardless of the outcome, we had a successful camp and you know we were ready to go to war together. So it's like pack up and let's go. That's so great. Yeah, so when Nate was fighting in Japan at this point, were you going with him? Did he? want you so he actually when we first started dating he had a fight i think a week from that saturday okay and so he had me come to that fight and it was in denver also um where at do you remember it was at was it the coliseum or the pepsi center i can't remember. okay pepsi, so it was a big know. venue yeah it was a big venue okay and um so i came and watched him and just super interesting is just not something that I was used to. And then from there, he went back and fought in Japan. I didn't go with him because we were still just engaged. And, and what year is this, roughly? 2004 or 2003. Okay. 
presentation was for. Okay, so he goes back, he goes to Japan, yeah. fights, mm -hmm. and you guys are still dating at this point. Right, and okay. then we got married in 2004, and then at that point, then I went to all of his fights. So he was still fighting in Japan at that point. Okay. So Yeah. Okay. I know seeing Nate, and I think it was when he was with Pinkrist when he had like his mohawks and yes. his blue hair. Yes. And it was just, it's so crazy to know Nate and just see the type of person he is and then see him walk out with this mohawk. I know. Japan is very animated. They they wanted people to have personalities. It was actually surprising that that everybody took to Nate because they're really, they love their their own fighters. And mm -hmm. so the fact that Nate was really loved by the people there and uh, he was exciting and so they would tell him like hey like represent like show show that you're American show do something interesting yeah, yeah yeah and so he would come out to um, Eye of the Tiger and I remember he had he would try to dye his hair he would have his sister dye his hair and it's just mohawks and yeah yeah. And what was that like in Japan? Because I feel like most of the audience doesn't have a good grasp. And I really didn't until I went over to Thailand to really experience, you know, different types of cultures in yeah. the fighting realm. I remember when people would walk out for even just the Muay Thai fights when we were in Phuket. It's like everyone was silent. Yeah. It was quiet. There was not, it's, which was so different for me experiencing, you know, what I had mm -hmm. with Ian and through the UFC was silence at a walkout and it was this just really quiet respect like a soldier was like we were sending them off to fight at another yeah. country you know we just sat there in respect and it was kind of quiet yeah and then when they went in then they got started and the crowd cheered and then the fight went on yeah that i had the same experience in japan the crowds were quiet they were respectful um so the first time that i went I just, you just sit and everybody's quiet. If something happens like a knockout, everyone just goes, ooh, like just really quiet. <laughs> like you feel like you could hear a pin drop mm -hmm. and it takes a lot of the nerves that we feel once they're in the UFC. Like the, the UFC has so much, I mean, that's how they build it. Like you could feel the room vibrating yes. and it's just a completely different feel. And then the next time he fought in Japan, they actually asked me to carry his belt out for him and so um, he had the belt at this point yeah so it was carrying it and they like had me dress in the, a gown and all this stuff and um i remember he came up to me right before he walked out and like, gave me a kiss and i was like i don't ever want to see you like that again because he is just a completely it's like a different like that switch when yeah it turns, it's like, like yes i'm like that's not who I'm used to it was just so he was like business and mm -hmm. um so at that point I'm like I don't want to be in your corner ever I don't want to be who is he fighting that one he was fighting Yushin Okami I think okay and he had the belt yes or they were fighting for it I think in Japan they do it a little different like um but yeah but he it was for the belt okay okay and how long was he with that promotion he started with them in, I mean, when he was 19, I think. Okay. Maybe not with Pancras, but at some point, right after, no, he was 20, right after he had his daughter, he had the 
They gave him the opportunity to go and fight in the some man tournament. Like I don't remember how many, but okay. And then he won that, and it was a big deal. Okay, so you guys got married, and then and then it was right into having a family. No, no. Okay. So I we wanted to wait, and it's something that I I mean there's there's a whole story because I his career was the God of our family. I mean, mm-hmm. Nate talks about that. It's he selfishly and whatever it was, a, it was our, that was our goal. It was our, his career was mm-hmm. what took precedence over everything. And so we didn't, we had our, I had my stepdaughter, but we waited and then I was diagnosed with ovarian cancer. And it's funny cause you were saying like in, in my life growing up, the only thing I ever wanted was to be a mother. That was something that I felt like God had written on my life. And um, to be a mother, I love children, and I love just everything about motherhood. And so it was a time when I felt like I was really angry with God because he was taking it away. Because mm-hmm. it wasn't just cancer that when they found the mass on my ovary, it was extremely large it had taken over they had you know they test your markers and all the different stuff I mean I don't know all of the terminology but um so it was pretty I think that's actually the point that I fully surrendered my life to the Lord okay okay yeah and you guys were married for about how long we were married for around four or five years so why don't you talk about that moving into transitioning from a wife to a mother? Obviously, you're blessed with children yeah. now. So, yeah. but why don't why don't you talk a little bit about kind of that transition and how you were able to juggle not only being a wife and a supportive wife to a professional athlete who's basically doing it one on one. There is no team. Yeah. I mean, you can train in a gym where you have teammates that are you know, pursuing the same thing, but you are on your own. You are the CEO of your career. You're making the decisions. You're choosing who your coaching is. You're choosing recovery, schedule, eating plans. I mean, all of it. And juggling that on top of kind of the transition to the mother motherhood, why don't you talk a little bit about that? Well, Nate had really tried to, when we first started, when he started training, when he got in the UFC, he wanted to find a better team. And so that's when he started going to Jackson's in Albuquerque. So every other week we would go to Albuquerque and then we would come back for our. So he, so he finished just backing up. He mm-hmm. finished the promotion in Japan. Yes. Okay. And then how, how did that transition kind of, where was Nate at in his career at that point? So he actually wasn't completely finished. He kept trying to get into pride in the UFC and his manager was just saying, no, they're not interested. They're not interested. And so he had started working with Jacksons, which was like, you know, Diego Sanchez on Ultimate Fighter One, and he actually met Keith Jardine in Japan. They were on the same card, okay. yeah, and um, they had to cut weight on a train ride. And after he cut weight, Nate had I think given Keith like rehydration, and so after that, Keith was like, "This guy's great. This is we're friends now, and we mm-hmm. should train together." And they hit it off, and so. He started to train at Jackson's, and they were going to a grappling tournament, and he 
saw Dana White there. It was in Las Vegas. We drove from Albuquerque to Las Vegas for a grappling tournament. And then he saw Dana White. And I told him, go talk to him. Like, go over. Which is so typical. Tesla was like, Nate, go over there. Go, yeah, like, go. Go, <laughs> go say something. Like, mm-hmm. you keep hearing that they're not interested. I'm like, go ask him. Yeah. Like, why aren't you interested? Yeah. yeah. And so he went up to him and Dana was like, I've been trying to get you. Like, I've been trying to have you come and fight in UFC. And so like, yeah, come on. And so then he put him on fight night one against Ivan Salveri. Wow. Yeah. So. So he's in the UFC. Yeah. Okay. And how did that fight go? Great. He won. But I think that, you know, also fighting isn't a steady line. It's never a steady line. It's like there's always bumps. There's always peaks and valleys. Yeah. And so he fought, but there was, he had taken a supplement that wasn't approved. So when they tested him, like it wasn't steroids, it was like something he bought at GNC or something. He just didn't know. And so he was able to prove that he hadn't, that he wasn't on anything because a few days later he showed yeah, you, you present those supplements that you were on. They then test them and yeah. say, okay, this is the culprit here yeah. because you declared it. Yeah, and so you they, have. because he showed that his tests were clean and because of the time it takes before you see in front of the athletic commission, like their board or whatever, they said that that was enough time for him to be off. Okay. And so then he was fighting again, lots of fights and um, just the journey of fighting and yeah, working his way to the top and okay. So then he was with the UFC for roughly how many fights? Oh man, um, at the beginning because he was in the UFC, right? And then he wasn't. I would say ten. So he did ten fights with the UFC and then went to Pride. No, and then he uh, went to Strike Force. He went to Strike Force. Yeah, and that's yeah. where he got the belt, yes. right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I mean that was another thing too. I mean. Another valley, another. Why did he leave the, why did he do 10 fights with the UFC and then that was it? I mean, it's, it was some drama. It was like the, the UFC had, one of the athletic commissions had wanted to see if he actually needed hormone replacement therapy. Okay. And, so, and this is like a state commission, right? This yes. isn't, okay. And so they had him go off all treatment and... Um, what treatment? What do you mean? He went off he all treatment. He was taking some... T- so the UFC at some point had contacted him because he was having various symptoms. He talked with the UFC and they're like, maybe you should get your hormones tested. This was the time when you could have... Higher like, levels of testosterone... No, like you could have an exemption if your levels were too low. Like they would give you exemptions based on things. And so the UFC came to him and they were like, we think you should be tested because he was having various symptoms. And um, and so he was low. And so they, but he didn't ever want to be somebody who took injections. He wanted to do it, Naturally. like work with a doctor and keep his levels just manageable so he could train. And so... One of the athletic commissions said, we want you to go off treatment so we can see if you actually need it. And so he had to go off. But during that time, the UFC called him and said, 
So he was under medical suspension while they tested, but then the UFC called and said, well, you need to take this fight. And so... Which was the day, it's not necessarily like it is now where it's like no I'm actually under a medical exemption like I can't take right. that fight they would be like oh you can't take that fight okay yeah. bye yeah like give me your contract yeah and so and some part of me wishes that he would have said I no. mean at that point there were other promotions coming out I mean obviously strike force and um but it's like the what ifs it's the UFC always just seemed like the best place to be and the best place to to fight mm -hmm. the best competition so right I think a lot of fighters feel that way. Yeah. So um, once he took the other fight. So he did. So he was still under medical exemption. They're like, you need to take this fight. And right. he said, okay, I'll go ahead yeah. and take it. And he was training for that whole fight. He had to train with low testosterone. Like it was, it was just a, that's what he had to do. And then, yeah, because um, he went off therapy. So he was on therapy, went off it so that he could basically yeah, fall was, within the categories of being, I don't know, legal, I yeah. guess, as far as being a fighter outside of medical exemption. So you're in, in camp, in contract. Right. And when you stop those therapies, it's not just like, oh, okay, you, it's kind of like, I always explain to people, at least my patients, as far as taking melatonin, right? People that are constantly taking melatonin, your body's natural production right. then slows down because it's being naturally supplemented. You stop that melatonin, depending on the dosage that you're taking, you're not just going to keep right at this plateau. Your right. normal limit's going to go way down below what it was on average before starting to take the right. therapy. So imagine his testosterone completely exactly. plummeted at this point. Right. So not only is recovery way, let, way yeah. more, so he's having to take longer to recover between trainings, everything else that comes with it, brain yeah. fog, fatigue, yes. clarity, all of that decision-making, things that you know, that wonderful drug that our body produces naturally yeah. is able to do is now making it 10 times harder to complete that training yeah. camp. Okay. Yeah, and that's, so he did that camp and then it was, they, okay, the previous athletic commission said, yeah, you need to be on this. Your, your levels are too low. You need to have this. And so he started treatment again. Because the commission previous commission said reached out to him in camp yes and said you need to be taking this i think they actually reached out to him during fight week for his next fight and they were like yes you're like this is okay and and um and then the new commission said there was some issue with the new commission then or vice versa there was some issue and so at the weigh-ins they were like we want your levels to be this and if they're above that then you're not going to fight. So he was cutting weight and had it tested, and then it was too high. So they pulled him from the card and fired him from the UFC. Wow. Yeah. Which I'm just going to, like, add again where to reiterate to any up-and-coming fighters or support system of fighters of just letting you are in control of your career. Yeah. Right, and making those decisions and Absolutely. not necessarily listening to everybody in your corner in higher up from you making those decisions. You need to have someone that can either help you make those decisions that is not, you know, pushed by money or fame or any of the stuff that comes with it, but just for your general well well being. 
Yeah. Right, because that would have been a completely different story. So he gets cut from the UFC at this point. Right. He gets the call, like pulls him from the car. Like how embarrassing, just went through this entire weight cut in this insane camp. Right. Anyway, they, I always talk about camps on this podcast, but I really don't think people understand no. what goes into a camp. Like it's not just like the NFL where they come in for summer camp and they do three a days between like practice playbook and weights. Mm -hmm. It's completely different when it comes to training because there is no season. It's all year round. There's not mm -hmm. an off season. There's not a preseason. It's you're in season at all times. If you're, you know, physically able to be. Yeah. And, and when they call you for a short term fight, like you were talking about, it's just a different, there's so many different things, especially when you, are cutting weight and you mm -hmm. have to have some time to prepare. And right. Which, you know what, I made that sound bad, but there's a lot of good things that come from short notice fights and not having an off season, yeah. always being in season. It makes it so exciting and so fun. And I think that's why personalities like Ian and like Nate's and like a lot of MMA fighters that just thrive off of that. Yeah. What it like, it could happen at any time mm -hmm. and just like that, that feeling. But I can imagine at this point when Nate gets cut from the UFC, what was that like after it was like he just calls you and is like you'll never guess what no he so he said you mean when he got back into strike force no like that day when they it pulled was like, him from the fight card like where were you like did we he were, just call you and he's like no we were at the event for the weigh-ins like we drove from the weigh-ins he was already on weight did the test and then we were driving back for him to weigh in and when we got there they got the results back with that in that time and they were like no or there was actually i think dana white was like no i'm not going to wait for this results like this is not okay and so he cut him and then i think that actual blood test that he did at that point was within range but by the time it was so close to the weigh-in time that he wouldn't accept it yeah, it was oh. crazy. So we knew right away that Dana White was not happy and that he was out of the UFC, and he was like, he'll never fight in the UFC again. So. Wow. Yeah, so it was pretty emotional. I mean, it was. Yes. You feel like you're, you're trying to do what's right and follow the rules. I mean, so many guys you hear. Oh, yeah. Hiding under the cage yeah, from Lusada. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so it's hard to know that. Um, and at that point, Nate, I think it was around that point he decided he wasn't going to do any type of treatment mm -hmm. ever again. All right, real quick, I want to tell you about something that I absolutely love, and that is fit soda. Soda's great. Everyone loves to drink it, but it's not good for you. It's going to make you fat. It's going to get you obese. It's going to rot your teeth and cause all kinds of health problems along the way. Fit soda gives you all the pleasure of that beautiful, sparkling, tasty drink, but without all the negative side effects. Fit soda has zero calories. It's also a hydration drink. It is loaded with branch chain amino acids for recovery and electrolytes for hydration. Comes in four amazing flavors. You got the orange cream, you got the root beer float, you got the cherry cola and the sparkling citrus. By the way, guilt-free soda, zero calories, stick a little vodka in there. You got a delicious cocktail. It's a great mixer. I'm telling you, this stuff is fantastic. Stop drinking soda right now. Stop adding to that waistline. Stop rotting your teeth and causing all the internal problems that soda does cause. Fit soda, number one, is absolutely delicious and it's good for you. 
And when I say USADA, just for people that don't know, it's it's the United States Anti-Doping Association, and that is a subcontract that the UFC hires to make sure that athletes are abiding by uh, certain substances mm -hmm. that they're not supposed to be taking, like no anabolics, no testosterone replacement therapy, no no tainted things. You know, they're doing it for their best interest, I yeah. believe. You know, I don't think that everybody needs to be taking that kind of stuff no. in combat sports, but uh, the, these this organization will literally show up at your house at 6 a.m., bop, 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 bang on the door, bang on the door. Yeah. Come in, either they'll do a blood test or they'll do a urine test. And or then, both. Or both, or both, yeah. Or both. Last time, last time they tested Ian, they should have showed up, and, and he, I walk in, and he's got this huge, like, just circle on his arm, and he's like, what are they doing to me? And it was some sort of blood test that they were doing, and, you know, you lay out all of your supplements because you have to declare what you're taking. And, guys, I'm saying, like, everything, like, from your BCAAs to your protein to your, your pre-workout, your glutamine, your like an creatine. Oil. I mean, whatever you're on you have to lay that out and not yeah. only lay it out, there's whereabouts. So these fighters are having to constantly put in where they are, where they're going, their yeah. training schedule, because they might not show up at your house at 6 a.m., but they may show up to your afternoon training session and come in the middle of training. I've seen them show up in the middle of training of these guys that are in camp and are like, sorry, he needs to come pee right now. And it's like, they're in training, yeah. like training. Can you just like, you can watch him, but you're going to have to, I've, I've seen some fighters like, no, you're going to have to wait. Like I'm almost done with practice. Some of the vets can get away with some of the USADA guys that have been testing them for years. But just so if you weren't aware of what that is, I mean, you know, I, I know it's all for the good, but it's just an added stress that you need to add into your career that these fighters are then in control of as well. Yeah, it's it's funny. I feel like the there are times that they would have to stay at our house for hours because it'd be like if Nate peed in the middle of the night, yes. then all of a sudden they show up at 5 a.m. and he's like, Chilling with the USADA guy yeah, at the like, kitchen I table. Yeah, they mm -hmm. would stay at our house. Just you, just sit. They like follow him around, and yes. So, so then when when Nate gets cut at this point, what's the next step? So they his manager was just trying to find another promotion. Um, Strike Force was merging with the UFC, so Scott was still running it, but he hadn't. I think the UFC had bought it at that point. Okay. And so his manager just kept pushing. And then they said, if you want to fight at 170, then we'll let you, we'll let you fight for the belt. Because he was course. fighting at 185 right. in the UFC. Okay. And so he did. And he did. And, and went down to welterweight. Yeah. And he won. He won the belt. It's, I mean, I feel like it's one of the best fights of his career mm -hmm. against Tyron Woodley. And, um, oh, my gosh. <laughs> insane knockout if you guys haven't seen it the fight with see if we can pull that up Nate Marquardt with these nasty elbows fighting <coughs> Tyrone Woodley that was when I remember meeting you guys for the first time I think we were coming over to your guys's house in Arvada yeah and Ian would just tell me oh you have to meet Nate and Tessa like they invited us up for dinner we're gonna go up there and I was like I'm not sure who, you know who that is because because I I wasn't involved in MMA or any of that stuff. So even the legends or any of that kind of stuff that went on with the fight game, I didn't know a lot about. And Ian's like, oh, he's a legend. He's like, you got to watch this fight. And he just pulls up this fight with Tyron Woodley and Nate Marquardt. And I was just like, oh my gosh. Because I had already seen 
the fight with Tyron Woodley and Kamaru Usman. So I had already seen Tyron fight. So I had already like, okay, I know, I know who both of these fighters are right. now. But that was in Strike Force. Yes. Okay. And that was for the belt? Mm-hmm. It was for the belt. And it was, I think the thing I love about the fight is that it was so, it wasn't just this easy fight. Because like Nate's had fights where it's a knockout, just a quick knockout. But it was actually really testing him and not just an easy, mm-hmm. easy fight. And he looked so good like what would you say was it just motivation like what what was it about that fight camp that he just felt so good I think that he was just laser vision getting back into the UFC and fulfilling like you cut me I'll show you yeah kind of a yeah and just he had been off and um yeah, pull it up. Yeah, right here. Were you there for that fight, Tessa? Yeah. Oh, it was, my God. The funniest thing about it that I just think it's hilarious. So Tyron Woodley, his mom, would always go. And this lady's like, she's got some lungs. Like, she was in the crowd. You oh, could yeah. hear her. Oh, yes. You could hear her. Oh, and yes. Nate said that every time she would start cheering, that he would get, like, a second win. And he's like... Stop cheering for me. <laughs> and so. Yeah. And was that a first round finish or? No. Uh, fourth? Third oh, or fourth okay. round? Okay. Yeah. They were like battling. Like if you watch the whole fight, it was a battle. Was and a like battle. what a way to win the belt. Just like yeah. go through just like a long fight, a battle, just like picking each other apart. Mm-hmm. And then just the dominant one rises. Yeah. That's yeah. But so it was, cool. I mean, that was the point though that cutting to 170 and that was. Where after that fight, everything in our lives fell apart. It was the point that he. Which is so crazy. Hold your thought there because being a wife of a fighter, that point is what that that's the end result. Like that's what we're going for. That's the dream is getting the belt and and rising to the belt and it's not even just having this big long legacy but it's just knowing that hey I can go from this point to this point and prove that I can get the belt and so I was just about to ask you what was that like what was your celebration like like he just got the belt like the epitome of his career like the top that what all fighters dream about is having that belt in their hands and you get it and you're just like that's when everything fell apart well it was after so it was actually the next fight after that because I don't remember how quickly they wanted him to fight again, but um, it was at that point that, I mean, it, it was amazing. It was like, especially from getting laid off from the UFC, getting another chance, and getting put in this position to fight for the belt, to fight, you know, it was just right. amazing. It was it was awesome. and. And wonderful but then you're always on to the next fight it's never a then now it's defending the belt and cutting to 170 was just it it was a little bit too I don't know if it's too much weight but it was almost like it just wasn't where yeah he was supposed to be yeah like the weight cut was too hard and it was definitely affecting his performance and his training and just I know how good Nate is with diet and nutrition and lifestyle and keeping his weight down when he needs to be. So I can imagine that seeing that affecting his 
you know, training at that point. Well, yeah, and in that fight after, um, I mean, Nate had a tough jaw. Is that how, how they say it? So after that, he would get hit with something not super hard, and it would rock him. And so I don't know if it was the fluid in his brain just being depleted. I'm not sure. I mean, I know lots of other fighters have dealt with, mm-hmm. with stuff like that. But so it was three fights after that at 170 that he lost, which he had never lost three fights in a row. Yeah. And it was everything in our lives just crumbling, just one thing after another. And we, like our marriage wasn't great because you can't. And you have kids at this point. Yeah, we had two kids. You can't maintain the, the fight life without Christ. You just can't. I mean, I, I know people do. I think that they think they, they do, but I think that you see over time it just wears because it's always center fixed on their fighting. And so, and that's what our lives were. It was always about his camp, his, his training, what he needed. And that's hard as a mother and a wife to function in that. Mm-hmm. And so... We were talking about divorce. We were, he had anger issues, which people are always like, how, Nate has anger issues. I'm like, yeah, he had anger issues because it was almost like he just knew how to hide it or it was like mostly good, but then when he would get upset, it was a, a big thing. So, so yeah, that was when he, had, I mean, we, we had crisis in all aspects. Even the, the IRS was, our taxes hadn't been filed. And so the IRS is knocking at our door like, you owe $100,000 or something crazy. Mm-hmm. We just hadn't ever received the notices. And so it was a dark time. And then that's when Jesus came and rescued him. And sorry, I always get emotional no, that's okay. saying that um, because... He changed him. And and how did he get a hold of him? Like, how was his come to faith? He had a, a drastic, I mean, he was at rock bottom. He, um, we were considering opening a kava, which you see them all around. Oh, yeah. In Kratom Place in Denver. And, um, I mean, there's more to it, but he just hit rock bottom and then. Just like questioning because his fighting was so much of the identity that he surrounded himself with and being a fighter and being, I don't know, and maybe not, but but just like having that just define as to who he is as Nate the Great. Yeah, and being mad, like thinking, God, why, why are you allowing this, thinking that God was the reason for something? And he said he was... Because we, w- we went to church, we, we felt like we were Christians, and um, he would read Bible stories to Micaiah every night, and then he said he just felt like such a hypocrite, and because he's reading it to her, and he's like, I don't even know if I believe this. And he came to me and said that, and it was, You're like, oh, no. I'm like, I don't know, we're already having this brokenness, I'm already like, I don't know if I want to be with you anymore, 
maybe we should get a divorce. And then all of a sudden he's telling me, like, I don't believe in God anymore. And so um, but God kind of did a smackdown and just revealed truth to him and, and who he was. And um, he actually, at that moment, came to me and confessed things from the past to me. And um, he said, you know, God's changed me, and I'm going to be a good husband now. And Sorry, I was getting emotional telling you this part. And um, he said that, I understand if you don't, you can leave now because I've really, like, messed up, and I understand that now. And so, and then God, I feel like, came to me and said, um, Give him grace. Huh? Give him grace. Yeah, he said, right. you know, if, for what, for what? you've sinned against me and I forgave you. Like, how could you not forgive him? And it just like polarized everything that mm-hmm. I felt like I was just upstairs in my bathroom. And, and so, and God did change him and he was a completely different person. And, um, is he retired at this point? Yeah. I mean, I think he would be open for God to open the door for a fight, but. Right. But after, I mean, after he lost those like three oh, in at a that row. Point, after he lost that three in a row where everything was just like spiraling out of control, was that when he announced retirement or? No, I think that was the point that we just weren't sure if the UFC was going to keep him. And then um, he had that happen. And then God kind of rescued everything. And then all of a sudden he got offered to fight at 185 again, the main event against James Tahuna. With and what promotion? UFC. Oh, with the UFC. So yeah. the UFC is not going to your door after being told that you're never going to get back in the UFC again. Yeah. Well, so after he fought in Strike Force for several of the fights, then they like accepted the UFC. All the Strike Force people went in, back into the UFC. So like Luke oh, Rockhold and okay. all these people that were fighting for yes. Strike Force. Now we're back in the UFC. Okay, so he gets this fight. Yeah, so he gets, um, and he actually fought at 170 in the UFC. So that was still, he had losses. Right. I think he fought two, one or two. So, and then 170 back in the UFC. Wow. And so he had lost three fights in a row, and they called him and they said, hey, main event against James Tahuna. Do you want this fight? Yeah. And he took it. And he took it. And how'd it go? Great. He, I forget if it's a arm triangle or maybe but he, he pulled that him. one up <laughs> too. <laughs> Another good fight, but yeah. Um, and then still it's just been highs and lows from that point. How many fights then was he with the UFC at that point? That was probably, I count the strike forces with the UFC, but probably around 15. 15 fights. I know, I was looking at Nate's record. How many fights does he have? He has, I think, 55. Insane. Yeah. Insane. Yeah. 55, 55. fights. That's a lot of hours in the game. It might even be more. It might be like 60. I have to look the record up. That's a lot of fights. I'm just sorry. I'm just like thinking of people that have had... Like, I was trying to think of what Cowboy Cerrone's record is. Let me see. Because I, when I think of someone that has a lot of hours in the cage and I feel a like lot he of. got to 49. Really? Let me see.
while that's loading, when when Nate was in the UFC and kind of at that point was he knowing that he wanted to kind of phase out of fighting? 54. 54 fights. 36, 36 in, what is it? He has 36 victories and 10 of which happened TKO. Wow. That's still a lot of fights. Yeah. So he was wanting to kind of phase out at this point. I think after a certain point, he just felt like it wasn't his passion anymore. He he has four beautiful kids yeah, at this and point. He, you know, he wants to do missions. He wants to reach people. He wants to help fighters with, I mean, all through fighting, you talk to so many fighters, they don't have any support for things that they go through and so many times fighters call him just struggling and, and and I feel like he can talk to them and so I think he was just kind of not necessarily wanting to coach but just wanting to go on to the next to the next thing and he had at the end of his career some losses I feel like he actually won the fights but there were decisions and so it was time to do the next thing, and so he moved on. Did he put down his gloves in the octagon no. and retire? How did his retirement speech go? It did, he didn't really retire from the UFC. Um, he had lost a fight, and I think the UFC kind of said, "Where what like what's happening?" And I think they said either I don't know if they they offered him like one more, or if they said I can't remember the exact discussion but it was kind of like this is this is your time's done kind of thing like he wasn't going to be back at top or, or at least that that's how they felt and so yeah I was just moving on to the next thing okay and how was that transition as far as moving into retirement it was glorious you loved it <laughs> yeah because even when Nate became a Christian even though his it shifted and the camp wasn't like it used to be. It still takes, you know, like setting up babysitters. Yeah. Going to like, oh, hey, I have to go pump milk. So while you're at the press conference and so it still is time consuming and you have to do so much. It's just like such a, there's such an effort. Mm-hmm. And you guys were in Denver at that point right. when he retired. And so I know that Nate then went to seminary school, yeah. right, and is in the middle of getting his doctorate in theology, right? In ministry. In ministry. Okay. He already has his theology. Masters. His masters in theology. Yes. Okay. Okay, great. So you guys are down here in Florida. Yes. Okay. We're supposed to be in Thailand with you guys. <laughs> oh, thanks a lot, COVID. <laughs> Right. I still can't believe that. Just like, I was so sure we were going to go there. And then I'm like, oh, seeing the pictures. I'm like, that's okay. We'll be there one day with them. We will. Yeah, we'll definitely all be back in Thailand together for sure. Yeah. That's happening. Yeah, but, but he's, so he's still training. Yeah. Right? Okay. And what, what is Nate and your plan, I guess, over, like, what do you, what do you guys see yourself over the next five years? I think that... So through his doctorate program, he started a podcast, and um, 
I think that he wants to pursue it, you know, what, to the capacity that God wants him to pursue it, speaking truth over situations like we're just in our world, there's so much that we have to fight for truth. And mm -hmm. so he's doing that. And I think God has just made him in a way that he wants to reach people and start a gym or a school or, you know, kind of some of the things that I was talking to you about. And mm -hmm. so some of the pieces are, are fitting together and we're just waiting on the Lord to confirm. And so we'll see. Okay. I mean, I'd love to stay in Florida and eat mangoes and it's its own food group down here. I know. It's just so different. <laughs> what would you say your favorite fight with Nate was? Oh, man. That's such a good question. Because um, I remember seeing a picture. I'll see if I can find it at some point. The picture of you and you're super pregnant. And Nate had just. Oh. <laughs> and I was like, I cannot be imagined being that pregnant at one of my husband's fights. I, just like. <laughs> I was so pregnant. I was just telling Nate this the other day um, because did I ever tell you the story of how I played a trick on someone? No. So, I mean, you can see I'm nine months pregnant. Like yes. I had Avi a week after we got back from Mexico City. Mexico City has high altitude and um, some one fighter came up to Nate. He, he would know who it was and came up to me and he's like, oh, congratulations, when are you due? And I said, oh, I'm not pregnant. And then like without a beat, Nate comes and he joins in and he was like, oh yeah, she had a baby a couple months ago. And you could see this fighter start sweating. Like I could just see him and he just stopped. And it was like the funniest experience. But yes, I was super pregnant in Mexico City. Um, so that was that was really funny. Um, yeah. I think I actually really liked when he fought in Japan. Yes, it's when he fought. Um, what's his name? Masaki? No, no, I can't remember how to say his name. But he fought him there. It was his second time fighting him, and it was a really good fight. And um, just getting to experience what it was like in Japan is mm -hmm. just a completely Culturally. Yeah, just a different even fight culture. I mean, they have, you go to like a convenience store and they have like fighter pictures lined up and um, it's just so cool. It's a really cool fighting culture there. And so that was one of my favorites. Obviously, Tyron Woodley was a good one. Definitely. And then other ones were great that like, when he knocks somebody out just so fast. Yes. And you're just like, Yes, just a strong finish, yes. Yeah, what about you? What, uh, of Nate's? No, of Ian's. Is it my favorite fight of Ian's? Mm -hmm. Probably Argentina. Because oh. that was, honestly, that was the very first fight I'd ever watched, ever. Yeah. Like I went to, uh, I went to a glory kickboxing match one time and watched Chris Camozzi fight. That was my first like actual fight yeah. that I saw. But uh, UFC, even watching it, I think I had, maybe only watch Ronda Rousey or Conor McGregor one time. So I really had no idea what I was yeah. going into. And I was like, this is so cool. I saw that one. It was just, it was a fun kind of experience how it all happened. And 
that trip changed a lot of lives, not just ours, but our family and our friends that were surrounded by us at the time. That definitely was one that that sticks out for us. Why? What What do you mean it changed? Well, that's it? where Nate Cups met his now wife. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and my sister was going through a breakup at the time and literally had her passport hot off the press like hours before her oh, flight. Wow. When she was just out visiting me, I was like, you got a last minute fight in Argentina. Do you want to come with me? She was like, yeah, let me let me book my flight right now and go get a passport the day I fly out. You know, so it was just, there was just a lot of things that happened and Ian and I had a lot of, you know, good points in our relationship and just getting to know each other and just when you're dating, everything is just so much fun yeah. and all the good feelings yeah. that come with it. So I still feel like you're one of the only wives that how you like see fighting and how you're like, it was so great. I'm like, oh yeah, no, I love it. I, I love it. I don't, and I don't know why, like maybe God's blinding me from certain things that I'm not supposed to see. And so I just don't overthink it. And I just, but I also, I love like physical contact. I always have. Like I, I love to wrestle with Ian and jujitsu and I love it when he holds pads for me. And I would definitely continue to progress. I think in another life, I probably did some sort of wrestling or MMA or fighting of some kind. Did you ever get in like your own fist fight? I mean, I know you had sisters. Sister. Oh, yeah, sisters all the time. I was the brother in the family, so that definitely happened. But no, not really. Not really. No, I didn't ever get in a fist fight. I just felt like you'd be somebody that... No, I'm more physical with Ian. Like, God had to bring me somebody really strong that I could be mean to that would be able to take it. So, you give me like, grace. <laughs> anytime I even, like, try to choke Nate, I'm like... And he starts to even defend. I'm like, stop, that hurts. I'm like, I feel like such a baby. <laughs> I'm not somebody that would well, get you fight. You've been through a lot with Nate and seeing it before, you know, MMA was a really big topic. What advice do you have for not only support systems or not just wives, but support systems of people that are pursuing a career in MMA or being a professional athlete? As for the wives or for the fighters? For the wives. I think for the wives... It would be, like you said, I mean, you and I have talked about this, but to support them, not just for this big purpose, but to support them for, like, what God's called them to. Like, it might, it might not be the UFC. It could be another promotion. It could be just supporting um, them and knowing that there are lots of different paths because it's... It just goes fast, and it's it goes fast. It's emotional, and it's also you just don't know how many fights you're going to have or events you're going to have, and to enjoy it, enjoy the the ride of it. Yeah, enjoy the ride. Yeah, that's great. Well, Tessa, it was great having a conversation with you and <laughs> yeah. getting to hear what a legend Nate is in the sport and what awesome support system you've been through him from the very beginning, and. Uh, yeah, it was it was awesome. Thanks for having me.